It's good to be back. Oh, thank you. Yeah. See if I remember how to do this. Um, it, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, to everybody, staff and leaders, Pastor Brian, all of you. If, if we have not met, if you are new to this church since I've been gone, fantastic. I hope you stay after uh, I get back. Um, but I'm glad that you've uh, sought to seek the Lord in this place and in this community. It is a great place. I, I don't know how to sum it all up briefly, so I won't even try. Um, I will give a kind of a full report to the church on Sunday evening, the 23rd of September, if you're available for that. I would love to, um, to share pictures and stories and all that's been going on over the last 12 weeks. Uh, but for now, I will say to you that I return to you refreshed, uh, re-energized, happy to be here. I'm really glad to be in this place, in this time, uh, for, excited for what God has called me to and what God has called us to as a community together in this place in this season, and so this is good. So it, it feels, I, I am actually quite nervous. Um, I, seriously, I just, and then uh, this week, Mon, I, I came in on Tuesday to the office. Monday night, I went out, literally, I bought a new lunch box and, and brought that in, and it, it kind of felt like first day of school kind of thing, so a little jitters like that. Um, and this time of year actually really does feel like a time to reset and start over, I don't know about you, but for me, even more than New Year's, this time of year feels like a new year. And because I, I have kids, I think it's, it's more amplified. So if you have kids, or if you have grandkids, or you're connected to kids, you sort of feel that the newness of it. New Year's just feels like a break in the middle of winter. You know, but this is really a new start. My son is now in middle school, which is crazy to me. And um, the kids are back to school. And... It's important as we have these sort of markers of time, time to new beginnings and restarting, to, to recalibrate ourselves, to reorient ourselves to what is truly important and what's important in life and in my faith. And that's why we do things this time of year like a prayer week, where we, you know, prayer is, should, as followers of Jesus, just be a very normal part of our journey and, and our life with Jesus. But there comes times where it's good to just reset and, and restart, and that's, that's a good thing. Um, the, that's why we're doing this prayer week. So you should have received this in, the, uh, in your bulletin. So this has lots of ideas for the prayer week. This upcoming week is not the prayer week. It's the following week, but we give you this now. And I can't believe these things are already printed and cut and delivered. I wasn't even here. It's, it's like things just magically keep happening. It's just... Anyway, I, I love that the ministry kept rolling on. But um, great resources in here and ideas. And so you might, if you're going to be fasting or, or trying that, you can learn about that and kind of prepare yourself for that for the following week. But it's also why we're starting this uh, short sermon series called Foundations. This is talking about our purpose today, thinking about our purpose as a church. Why do we exist? And our church has a purpose statement which summarizes our, why we exist and what, what this is all about. And I want to, we can put that on the screen for us. We have a slide with the purpose statement. Is that up there? Oh, right there. It's already up. Okay, uh, let's just read this out loud together as we're going to talk about it. So our purpose, to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and a community of Christian love, develop in them Christ-like maturity, 
and mobilize them for service to his church and the world in order to glorify God. And the point of the whole thing is that last statement. It's about God's glory. That's why we do all that we do. And so it's about his glory, but it's about inviting people. To bring God glory, we invite people into a relationship with Jesus. We invite people to a Christian community of love. And I love that word inviting because Jesus was an inviter. He was, he was a master inviter. And most of the time, most of the time, Jesus' invitation was gentle and easy. He said to the, his first disciples, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they just, something about that invitation was compelling. They left their stuff and they followed him. Jesus also said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It just seems so easy and free. Jesus said that God sent him. He sent his son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. You just have to believe. It's so free and simple. But then we get to a passage like this one today. And Jesus says, if you don't hate your family, you can't be my disciple. And this is a family Sunday and there's extra kids here. Just be careful. This is not what Jesus is saying. That you have to hate your brother or sister to follow him. And so, or is that what he's saying? You know, some of you might say, well, sign me up. I can follow Jesus. I hate my little sister. That may, <laughs> I heard that. That may not be uh, at the heart of what Jesus is saying here, but this is a bold statement. This is a shocking statement that Jesus makes. He throws it down here. And it's a statement that if you understand it rightly, in Jesus' day and in our day, it can keep you from following Jesus. And I believe that's exactly what he intends. He actually wants people to not follow him or to follow him completely, but there's this, look at verse 25, there's large crowds. Jesus' interest isn't to just draw large crowds. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to make disciples. His goal was to proclaim God's kingdom to those who would embrace it by faith. Uh, his, his goal was to provide a way to bring us into that kingdom. But he, he challenges the crowd. He questions their commitment. And, and today, still, people are unwilling to commit themselves to God in the way that Jesus is describing and it's very challenging. It's challenging to them. It's challenging to us. So as we jump into it, I want to pray for us before we unpack this a little more. And here Jesus makes a point. He illustrates the point, And then he presses the point. So he makes the point. He illustrates it. He presses it. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be here. It's good to be together. Uh, it's good to worship you in song. And we thank you for your word. It is good. And, but it's challenging. And so we approach it very humbly. We ask for your grace to understand you, to understand your ways, uh, and that we, might, that we might even be challenged by it, that you might use it uh, for your good and your glory. So this time is yours. We just commit it to you. We pray your blessing over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Jesus, the first thing he does is he makes this point, and it really doesn't sound right. And kids, you, you hear this. Verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate 
father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. This does not sound right because it goes against nature. Everything within me wants to love my children and my spouse and I love my parents. And we, we want to love our families. It just seems to be wired in the human nature. And here Jesus says if we don't hate our families, then we can't be his disciples. So it goes against human nature. It seems to go against the Bible itself. God gave commandments to his people. One of the Ten Commandments was honor your father and mother. And here's Jesus saying you have to hate your father and mother. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this statement seems to be completely contradictory. Yet, if we think about it, again, back to the Ten Commandments, God said, you will have no other gods before me. That was the first one. The second one was, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is saying, I am to be the center of your worship. I am to be number one in your life. Jesus said to his followers, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, and he's getting to the reality that good things and a very good and precious thing like family can become an idol. It can become an object of worship that it is never that God never intended. And think about it, you could you could be so enamored with your family and providing for your family and supporting your family and your your accomplishments with your family or your kids' accomplishments that it becomes so central to your own identity that your love for your family is really just about self-interest and pride? It's, it's an easy struggle. It's something that I would struggle with or anybody could struggle with. And here, Jesus isn't suggesting that we would have genuine hate for our families, but if, you, if your loyalty to your family and your loyalty to God were ever in conflict with one another... He's saying it is as if you hate that because your love of God needs to be so primary and so first. Love of God and his kingdom and your devotion to that is number one. Everything else, no matter how good it is, has to come in second and beyond. And this is, but it's shocking. He's using shocking words. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Oh, people were listening. Because he's using such strong language. And sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes we have to use strong language to make a point. And again, the Gospel of Matthew, there's a parallel passage where Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So it's not about hating your own life. or It's not about hating your family. It's about if, is that more than your love of God? Because here, he's speaking metaphorically. He's talking about his followers having to take up a cross and die. Some of his followers did die on crosses, but many did not. But it's about, it's about dying to yourself in your own interest and putting his interests first. And, and putting your family second is a way of doing that. Uh, but it's shocking words. He's forcing this issue 
Um, and again, it's not the first time that God has put one of his followers in a place to have to choose between family and him. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, Abraham, who God made promises to, he trusted God's promises, God's promise to give him a child, to give him a family, and, and God asked him to test him to be willing to even sacrifice his son. And, and that was a test of faith. Where am I? Where is your allegiance to me? And Jesus just forces the issue with the crowd. And here's the bottom line. This is what Jesus is forcing. If God is God, then I'm not. If God is the creator of the universe and he made me, then I'm responsible to him. If he is the Lord, that means I am not the Lord. That means if he controls my life, that means what I do in my life is actually important to God and he cares about it. And if he's the Lord, then I have to submit to that or reject it. We could try to live our lives, and many people try to live their lives, and they have their family, which is good, and they have their work, and they have their health, that's good, and they want to add spirituality or kind of add God alongside these things. And Jesus says, that's not how this world is set up. It's set up that I am sovereign over your family, over your work, over your health. Those are good things but I am greater and I control all these things. Will you submit to that reality? That's how my kingdom works. And Jesus forces his listeners at this point, this big crowd, to, to come face to face with that. Yet, we live in a world where you ask people, and maybe even in this room, we ask each other, you know, how important is faith to you? They say, well, it's, you know, faith is sort of important. It's pretty important. You know, but Jesus doesn't leave that option open here. But I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity is a statement, if it's false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And so we just need to, to know together as we sort of reset and we think about our purpose, when we are inviting people to follow Jesus, it's not just a little add-on. We are calling people to a, a, a radical faith in, in giving all things to God. Um, again, not just is that statement, let's go back to that purpose statement. It's not just a connection with God and a community of Christian love. It's also a, a life that's being changed that you're, you're inviting in God to work in you to change your heart to be more like Jesus. And that's why this statement also talks about being mobilized for service to the church and to his world, that you realize that that as you become more like Jesus, you will be pouring your life out for others. It's not just my little spiritual journey, but it's for the benefit of, of his people and the benefit of the world, all my neighbors. And that's a way of life that, that we are inviting people to. We just need to remember that. The point is that Jesus makes very clearly to follow him requires us to put his kingdom first above all else. Then he illustrates the point. Uh, the two illustrations. The first one in verse 28. Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to complete it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build but wasn't able to finish. In my journeys this summer, we're traveling to a number of different places. One of the places we got to visit was Malaga, Spain. It's on the south coast of Spain on the Mediterranean Sea. 
all the places we went, there was all kinds of things we were trying to experience and learn. This particular place was just to have fun, just to see the sights, just to sit on the beach, and just to be with some, uh, my wife's family lives in Malaga. And I have a picture. Is there a picture up there? Okay, this is a little alley walking down, and we look up. This is downtown Malaga, and you see this beautiful tower towering out behind the other buildings, and it's the Cathedral of Malaga, and it's, it's beautiful. Have you ever been there? It's a beautiful place, yeah. So we go a little further, and then we get up close to it. Next picture. And I take a picture, and that tower is on the left. But symmetrically on the right, there's, it goes up, but it kind of stops. They've never finished building the, the second tower. It's not there. And it's just, now this next picture I didn't take. But, and I don't know how they took that, because it's a restaurant kind of where you'd have to be standing to take that. But anyway, uh, the point is, oh, on the left is the tower, and on the right is this embarrassing, there is no other tower. It's still a very beautiful building. They started building it 500 years ago, and then they stopped building in the 1780s. And that's it. It just left that way. And there's a plaque that uh, Clancy's cousin was telling us about. Over on the right-hand side, the unfinished tower, it, it says that they, the people of this parish, they, collected the, they raised the money to finish the building project but they gave it to the British colonies, which are now the United States, in the American Revolution to support that against Great Britain. So you know, the U.S. had been supported by France and, and, and by Spain in some ways, which strategically at that time, in the 1770s would have, or before that, was uh, strategic for the Spanish people to do that. However, if you go, it, it, you know, historians have gone back through the church records and looking through their financial documents, it seems that they use that money to fix a street, and then never, never were able to finish the project. But the local people love the building, but they call it La Manquita, which is the one-armed lady. So it's like a beautiful lady with one arm, and tourists go, and it's very, I didn't go inside, but it's a, so there's the one-armed lady in Malaga, Spain. I share that because this is the same point Jesus is making. He said, if you're going to do a big project, you don't want to get stuck not able to complete it. And he's forcing them to say, look, what I'm calling you to, I want you to pay attention and understand what you're actually being called to. And he illustrates it again in verse 31. Verse 31, he says, suppose a king's about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Look, if you're going to go to war and you think you're going to get wiped out, you might as well just say, hey, can I give you some land and some tribute because I don't want us all to lose our lives in a battle that we cannot win. And, and this is forcing, Jesus is forcing his listeners to consider in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And he's forcing us to consider something that if we think about it long enough, we're going to consider anyway, is that if the God of the universe has come from heaven to earth to rescue me, to call me to be a part of his kingdom, that I can enter it by faith, and if Jesus gives his very life that I enter into that, that same God can ask anything of me. He then owns me. I am his possession. And he's asking me to enter into this thing. But then, God, then it's going to cost me everything. God could ask anything of my life. Nothing is off limits. My family's not off limits. 
My work is not off limits. My health is not off Nothing is off limits. And this is why a lot of people never jump into the Christian faith. They, they consider it, and they say, you know what? I'm, I just, they realize the reality. If this thing is true, it's way too extreme for me. I can't do it, or I won't do it. Which is better than those who just, the, the tragic part is the crowd, who's just following along, and they're not even really sure what Jesus came to do, but he's making it clear to them. Everything else, no matter how precious, will have to be second. The cost is very high. The cost is my life. So he's made his point. He's he's illustrated the point. Now he's going to press the point in verse 34. Jesus says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Again, strong language. And he's, he's talked about people being salt of the earth and how not to lose your saltiness. His point is always the same. It's you have a specific purpose in the world, and it is a good purpose to bring spice and to, bring, uh, to preserve the world and to, um, to be useful. And when you go against that, it's, just, it's a recipe for uselessness. Jesus said, not fully trusting me, not placing me first, the crowd just following without committing. This is uselessness. It's saltless salt. For us, I think at any time, there's moments where we feel useless. Does, does God really have a purpose for me? What, what am I to accomplish in life? What, what about all my failures? Where am I at? Why am I stuck? And I think the first step when we feel that way is to recommit ourselves to Jesus in his kingdom. Or maybe for the first time in your life, even today, that you would commit yourself to put your faith in him. That he has a purpose for this church. He has a purpose for your life. And in that, no one is useless. No matter how small you feel, no matter how much you think you've failed, no one is insignificant in God's kingdom. And in this very morning, you can pray, Lord, I commit myself to this. I felt like a failure. I felt on the outside, Lord, I just, I, I want what it is, and I give everything to you. And Jesus finishes by saying, he who has ears to hear, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And I could see why somebody would reject Jesus at this point. Some of the crowd would say, oh, that's a little too much. I'm going to just go back. But yet many still followed him. But why? Why this, this call to give up everything? Why is it... Why would it be good or even desirable? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, that means nothing is off limits. My family's not off limits. My work, my everything's not off limits. Therefore, though, God's kingdom is greater than those things, and God's kingdom brings purpose and meaning to those things. In a way that if you, if you kept your family over here and you kept your faith over here, uh, Jesus said, that's not how it works. If you put my kingdom first, it's actually sovereign over your family, and there's aspects of God's kingdom that he wants to see lived out through your life, through your family, through all the things that are precious to you, that those things, as good as they are, become even even greater. I had a a wonderful experience this summer. I was uh, at a wedding with a family, and a wedding is an amazing moment of of uh, celebration. It's a milestone for a family, and the, and the bride and, and the groom become so central in this whole thing. 
And I'm talking to this family, and they said, we believe that God is at work in and through this, and we're excited for the celebration to see what God will do. Do you see how the, it's, it didn't, it doesn't undermine the joy and the celebration and the massive, the, the massiveness of this moment. It's about seeing how significant it is and knowing that God is still at work in and through that. It's not one or the other, it's God over it all. And it doesn't have to be a major life event like a wedding. The simplest things, just as, as you wait at the bus stop, that God's kingdom is advancing, and because you're there, he is sovereign over even the simplest just waiting in line, uh, just going to work. Even tomorrow, as you eat hamburgers and hot dogs with friends and family, and I hope you get to do that. Some of you have to work tomorrow, and God's with you in that, but hopefully you'll have the day off, and you can, I'm going to go to my mom's, we're going to eat hamburgers, we're going to swim in the pool. But it's not just about joy with family. Even a simple holiday has a whole new meaning because God's kingdom is advancing. And then through that, and every day we get to get up and say, God, what do you have in store today? As I do, the simple things of life. As we face the big milestones of life, in the big and the small, you are at work. Praise you, God. And that's why you would commit to this major call to give everything for Jesus. And that's amazing. That's, that's a purpose-filled life. That's a, that's a purpose-filled uh, church. It's you know, not just my family but it's God at work in my family. It's so amazing. One problem, though, I'll finish with this. It's amazing, but it's almost impossible. Really, to give it all, to be so fully committed, to be willing to even hate things that are precious. I fall so short of that. And even if I just try harder and harder, I still am going to fall short How do we commit ourselves to a God whose standards for our lives are almost impossible to follow? And we remember this. Jesus didn't just call his disciples to this. He actually did it. He calls them to lay down their lives, but he first laid down his life on the cross for them. He did it. He did it for our forgiveness. He gave it all. He gave his life. And he gives us his spirit to change our hearts, our hearts that cling to earthly things, to to reorient our hearts to him and his kingdom and what he's doing in life. And as we put our faith in him, the one who did it all, who gave it all, uh, we, uh, we can then truly live lives of meaning and purpose to his glory. Amen.